All hands, prepare for the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. Stand by for transmission. Hello and welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. I'm Aaron. And I'm Eric. And unfortunately... Marty cannot be with us tonight. He was called into work. He had some issue. They had issues with their mail server, so hopefully that gets straightened out. But we'll have a great show for you. And tonight's show is about the Doctors of Star Trek. Awesome! I can uh, I can't wait to delve into this topic. Uh, we got some pretty good doctors in Star Trek over the years. Oh, definitely. But I think before we get into the news and into the to the meat and potatoes of the episode, uh, last night there was a uh, event at the theaters, and Eric, you went to that. Yeah, it was a uh, Fathom Events uh, Star Trek Next Generation uh, celebration of season two for the new Blu-ray that's coming out on uh, December 4th. Excellent. And uh, how was it? It was great. It, it was excellent. I, I got to the theater about uh, 30 minutes before it started. A lot of people showed up for, for the particular theater I was at. And before the event started, they were uh, rerunning how they remastered the set from the first showing. Okay. Uh, and then they got right into it. They played great interview with uh, the cast of The Next Generation, the 25th uh, anniversary reunion. Uh, mm-hmm. getting everyone together in the same room. So they uh, shared that. Then they went to uh, the episode Q Who, which is our first introduction to the Borg. Right. And it, it was a fantastic episode. It was excellent to see the new effects on the big screen and the super detailed Borg ship uh, in HD, nice. which was pretty excellent. And then they did a, a behind-the-scenes uh, showing of of making a couple of the particular episodes. And they also showed some great bloopers. Um, it was like seven minutes of bloopers and the whole theater <laughs> was just uh, <laughs> roaring with laughter. It's, it's so great to see those actors uh, really ham it up uh, right. between takes. And then they did a special airing of... Uh, the Measure of a Man, mm-hmm. and it includes 15 minutes of never-before-seen footage. They, when they first did the episode, the the writer uh, is a writer, uh, Melinda Snodgrass, and it was her first uh, script after the writer strike. Okay, uh, so that was the first one they produced, and the script was so excellent, and they filmed so much that when they did their first edit, the mm-hmm. episode was uh, 14 minutes longer than it than it should have been. So unfortunately, they had to cut it down for broadcast, but the original VHS tape with the rough edits, no music, no special effects, they actually gave it to Melinda, who wrote the episode 25 years ago. And so when they were remastering this whole uh, season, they said, hey, there's still that tape. So Mm -hmm. they actually called her up, and (laughs) um, she still had the tape. They used that tape because they could not find the original footage, and they were able to remaster from that tape. Oh, wow. And there's some excellent scenes that they cut out. There was a 
great fencing scene uh, with with Picard and kind of Riker and him, you know, verbally, you know, Riker is concerned about, you know, his role in prosecuting data. And he basically tells Picard, well, I'm going to give it, you know, 100%. I'm, you know, even though you might be better skilled than I am in the courtroom, he's like, I'm going to put up a challenge. And there's this great scene where Picard, who's fencing with another person, he goes on the attack and wins the fencing and Picard's like, well, I'm going to do my best too. And it was just such a great scene and uh, it it was excellent. And they added some character moments between Picard and Data, which were really nice. So overall, it was an excellent event and I really hope they continue to do this for all the seasons. Yeah, that would be awesome. I don't see why they wouldn't. Yeah, it was uh, it was really great. So if if you missed any of them, I, I definitely recommend uh, the third season uh, because they really promoted the best of both worlds. So mm. hopefully that's uh, part of the next theater showing. I I would imagine. I would like to see that and yesterday yesterday's Enterprise on the big screen. Yeah, that was actually another episode that they heavily featured on the season three preview. Okay. So I think uh, yesterday's Enterprise and best of both worlds are good bets for the next theater showing. Nice. Well worth the money, you think? <laughs> De- definitely. I mean, I yeah. paid I paid twelve bucks for my ticket. Mm-hmm. It was great to see Star Trek on the big screen in HD. You you really can't beat it. <laughs> right. That's cool. I can't wait. I'm hoping that they get released on Netflix in HD like they did with the original series. Yeah, me too. I, I think um, Netflix needs a definite upgrade. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So yeah, so I think we'll transition now into the news. And actually, Eric, you found this uh, before I did, so I don't know if you want to take this. Sure. So in late in the latest uh, news for the new Star Trek movie, Star Trek Into Darkness, Paramount released the official synopsis uh, for the movie. Here it is. In summer 2013, pioneering director J.J. Abrams will deliver an explosive action thriller that takes Star Trek into darkness. When the crew of the Enterprise is called back home, they find an unstoppable force of terror from within their own organization that has detonated the fleet and everything it stands for, leaving our world in a state of crisis. With a personal score to settle, Captain Kirk leads a manhunt to a war zone world to capture a one-man weapon of mass destruction. As our heroes are propelled into an epic chess game of life and death, love will be challenged, friendships will be torn apart, and sacrifices must be made for the only family that Kirk has left, his crew. So, from what I gathered, I I think it's safe to say that the uh, main villain could be Gary Mitchell. Right. Um, I've been thinking for a long time that it was Gary Mitchell. But you never know, maybe they'll throw us a curveball and it's someone completely different. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't put anything past them. Um, Mm -hmm. J.J. Abrams is known for keeping a tight lid on his project, so just releasing this this synopsis is, you know, they're putting in just small clues uh, with the wording, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, a a one-man weapon of mass destruction. Right. Uh, And you could take that any number of ways. And yeah, I, th- I think it's a great little taste of uh, what they have in store for the next movie. Right. It'll be interest- interesting to see since if it is Gary Mitchell, he would have to have gone through the uh, galactic barrier there in order to get these powers. Yeah. 
that originally happened on the original Enterprise, the 1701. Right, and they, they might change the story a bit to maybe it's another Starfleet vessel that crosses right. the galactic barrier. Right. So it'll be interesting. Um, I wish we could have seen a hint of Gary Mitchell in the original movie, since they were supposed to be Academy friends, I believe. Yeah, and they kind of um, put that friendship maybe towards Kirk and McCoy. Right. Which we really didn't know that they went to the Academy together in the series. Right, that's true. I, I always thought that McCoy uh, had been in the service a lot longer. Yeah, um, M- McCoy definitely seemed uh, older in the series than... Um, in the movies. Right. Uh, I mean, he was a little older just because he was got divorced from his wife and, you know, he's looking for a new career path, but it didn't seem like the difference was that great in, in the newest Star Trek movie. Who's the guy who plays the, who plays McCoy in the new movie? Um, Urban? Uh, Carl Urban. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought he portrayed McCoy very well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of my, favorite characters uh, is McCoy, and so I'm glad that Carl Urban did him justice right? and had his own take. I mean, he he pretty much nailed the, the accent and the mannerisms <laughs> that McCoy had. Right. Who knows? We should get our first uh, preview, our nine-minute preview, uh, <laughs> during The Hobbit, so... Right, yeah. <laughs> so hopefully we'll finally you know, know once and for all in, in a couple of weeks, uh, you know, who the main protagonist is. Hopefully. I heard that they were still editing The Hobbit, so hopefully uh, they'll make their <laughs> release date. Yeah, I, I hope so. <laughs> it's yeah. a pretty big movie. Yeah. Well, in, in other big um, kind of Star Trek movie news, but on the small side, uh, mm-hmm. we have some Star Trek Renegades news. Yeah. So in one of our previous sh- previous shows, we mentioned that Star Trek Renegades was looking to raise some money, and they actually surpassed their goal of $200,000, and they reached $242,483 pledged by over 2,000 people. Wow, that's incredible. I'm really glad they met their goal. It, It seems like a great project. And they recently announced some uh, uh, casting news. Yeah, uh, actually, I was surprised with how much casting news they released. Yeah, in in such a short time as well. I mean, all of this came within a a week of Mm -hmm. each other. So who who have they announced? So there is Adrian Wilkinson, who is known for her role in Xena, Warrior Princess. Did you ever watch that? Yeah, I um I watched Xena, but I don't remember her character. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> oh, I, I guess was uh, Livia. Um, yeah, I, I don't remember her, but she looks familiar. So yeah, she looks familiar. I I didn't watch Xena. Uh, Marty, I know Marty watched Xena. Uh, so I, I, I used to watch it all the time. It was like Saturday afternoons, and it was like Hercules and Xena and right. <laughs> all, all those uh, shows. But seems like a good casting choice. She's going to be... Who is she going to be in this movie? Uh, she's going to be Captain Alexa Singh? Singh? Singh, yeah. Uh, leader of the Renegades. Interesting. So, um, female captain? Or mm-hmm. m- maybe. I, I don't know how the Renegades are set up, but right. uh, that seems like a good choice. Mm-hmm. And actually, uh, the 
biggest announcement, I think, would be uh, JG. I, I'm going to butcher his last name. Hertzler? Hertzler, yeah. Yeah. Oh, who he played uh, Martok. Yes. So that that'll be awesome to see him as the main antagonist. Borata? Is he is he a Klingon? I don't know. It would be <laughs> interesting to see. I, I think I would like to see him as something other than a Klingon. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he's also played a couple of other characters in Star Trek, which I was uh, surprised to see. Yeah, he's uh, one, one of the great um, uh, character actors of, of Star Trek, mm. um, just like uh, Jeffrey Combs. Right. I think uh, the the next two are my favorite. Uh, we've got uh, Corin Nemec, uh, who was in Stargate uh, SG-1, and he was also in The Stand. And he joins the cast as a Starfleet captain, so that'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a great actor. I, I, I really like what he's done in the past, so it'll be good to see, see him in, in this. And the next one is... Uh, uh, another one I'm really excited for, just because I haven't seen him in anything lately, uh, Edward Furlong, who played John Connor in Terminator 2 Judgment Day, <laughs> yeah. and who was in American History X. Nice. Th- they didn't have any details on who he was playing, so okay. um be pretty interesting to see what, what he's going to be in this. <laughs> <laughs> right. So in some other uh, Star Trek news, I was watching a TV commercial... Uh, it was a commercial for GE, uh, and it was called Robots on the Move. Uh, have you seen it? I have not seen it. It's on YouTube, but at the very end, you see data in the either from season one or season two beaming in and looking around. Nice. <laughs> and it was like, I was like, oh, it's data, because uh, they had a bunch of other uh, robots like just around and stuff, and then data beams in. It was uh, it was actually quite exciting to see. Uh, that's how much of a nerd I am. Uh, <laughs> so they they've got a lot of great uh, sci-fi robots in this commercial. Uh, they had a few big ones. They had uh, Kit from Knight Rider. Nice. Uh, that one actually was uh, featured a lot in the commercial. Uh, and then they had oh. Uh, they had another one from, I think it was Lost in Space. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm blanking on his name, but Danger Will Robinson, Danger. So uh, uh, Data beaming in at the end, was uh, was it like uh, archive footage, or what, did uh, Brent Spiner come back just for this commercial? It was definitely archive. Okay, so uh, probably from the uh, TV show? Yeah, from definitely from the TV show. He was wearing uh, the season one, season two uniform. Uh, okay, well, that, you know, that probably uh, they probably took that from the the remastered footage from season two. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Because it was it wasn't the one with the uh, the collar. It was Sans collar, you know that tight. Um, yeah, uh, spandex. With, the, um, with kind of the piping on, on the black of the shoulders. Right. Yeah, the season one and two uniform. Yeah, it was not my favorite uniform, but I was quite excited to see Data. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so, yeah, if you guys get a chance, check it out on YouTube. It's uh, Robots on the Move, GE commercial. Uh, I'll be checking it out after we're done here. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So next is actually interesting. The Twitter account of this movie started following me, 
and that's the only reason why I know of it? You know, they followed me as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They actually they followed me a while ago. I was like, who is this? And I kind of ignored it, but then I checked it out. Uh, and it's a documentary on Susan Oliver, who played Vina in the original Star Trek pilot, The Cage. Nice. Um, she made me fall in love with uh, green alien women. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think many people as well. <laughs> so it's called The Green Girl, and it's planned for a 2013 release. And it's not just about her experiences in Star Trek, from what I gather. It's from her entire career. And uh, if you want to follow their Twitter account, it's at Green Girl Movie. All right, awesome. So next we have some science news. Yeah, so what we have at first is the most distant object that we've ever seen was discovered recently, and it's uh, discovered by the Hubble Telescope with NASA's uh, Spitzer Space Telescope to make the discovery. Um, and it's So they used uh, two telescopes to yeah. make this discovery? Oh, that's interesting. Right. So it would have existed 13.3 billion years ago roughly 420 million years after the Big Bang. And it is it places it around 200 million years earlier than the previous object that was discovered. So what kind of object is it? Is it like a star or some kind uh, of remnant? Uh, I think it's a galaxy. Uh, yeah, the most distant galaxy ever spotted. Wow. Do you want to take on the next one here? So the <laughs> the next uh, piece of science news is that actually the universe is slowing down its star production. Mm -hmm. Astronomers have figured out that the universe's uh, star rate is 30 times lower than its likely peak, which was 11 billion years ago. As a result, all of the future stars may be no more than 5% increase above what we have now. So... Things are slowing down in the galaxy. <laughs> right. Uh, so that is actually kind of depressing uh, because yeah, a little that, bit. <laughs> yeah, is that would mean eventually, if there isn't a big crunch and the universe just keeps expanding, uh, everything will just go dark. Yeah, that um, that really can't be good for uh, future <laughs> uh, Star Trek uh, endeavors. <laughs> uh, no, but I would imagine that that would be quite a distant time in the future. Yeah, I, I, I won't be around to see that. So. Right. Uh, <laughs> none of us will be around to see uh, all the stars go dark. So don't worry, guys. 2012 <laughs> is not the year that the world is ending. <laughs> no. That we know of. <laughs> I hope not. we <laughs> still got a lot of things to do, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Actually, funny that we mentioned Edward Furlong because oh. our, our next uh, news story is from the Daily Mail, and there is a Center for Terminator Studies. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, where leading academics will study the threat that robots po pose to humanity. And it's set to open at Cambridge University. And uh, it will study the four greatest threats to the human species. 
artificial intelligence, climate change, nuclear war, and rogue biotechnology. So is is this center? Are they going to look at a bunch of uh, apocalypse type movies and <laughs> <laughs> report their findings? Like that's <laughs> yeah, that's where they'll do all their research from, I guess, uh, from the Terminator movies. <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's um, I mean, it's quite an undertaking. I guess they'll be doing some actual research in this. Yeah. So I we're not really that close to an artificial intelligence which can uh, destroy us that I know of. Um, right, and we are starting to build drones. I mean, we have drones. We have um, who knows what else the government has or what militaries have, mm -hmm. and. You know, everything's computerized nowadays, so who knows once, you know, we finally break artificial intelligence, right. is that going to turn against us? Right. So is their goal to um, figure out how to stop this type of stuff or figure out what we need to do in, in case of one I, of I, these threats? Right. I think it's all of the above. I think that they're going to research the possibilities of it and how to counter attack it. Interesting. Uh, well, hopefully they uh, they can protect the world from <laughs> from our failings. <laughs> right. So moving on, coming soon, we will have some Starfleet Escape podcast wallpapers for your mobile device, as well as we'll be rolling out a new website soon. So, Excellent. Uh, stay tuned for that. Coming up is uh, right now is one of my favorite sections. Uh, would you buy it? So, <laughs> <laughs> I will buy everything Star Trek if I had the money. If I won the $550 billion jackpot, I'd yeah. buy everything here. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I would, too. <laughs> uh, so uh, first on our, on our list, Russican Flute Prop Replica is on sale for $299. Nice. And it's a one-to-one -one scale prop from the episode The Inner Light. Uh, that was one of my favorite Star Trek episodes um, uh, uh, from The Next Generation. Would you buy this? I would buy it if I was able to play it. Ah. See, it doesn't say if you can play it or not. <laughs> uh, but I know the flute that Picard had did not play. Oh, okay. I didn't uh, know that. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say since this is a scale prop replica, that it does not play. But I, I really like the packaging. I like the case that it's in. It looks like the same case from, from the episode. Right. Um, uh, so yeah, it looks like a great replica. I would probably buy it, considering it's one of my favorite episodes of the series. Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely had a lasting impact on Picard. Oh yeah, definitely. Because he had it throughout the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, uh, just like with the Menachem Tapestry. Right. And he did play it in at least one other episode that I'm aware of. Uh, I've, the name of the episode escapes me, but it's the one when he had the girlfriend. Oh, yeah, and she played that um, fold-out uh, keyboard, mm -hmm. and they practiced in the uh, turbo lift. I, I do remember the episode. I, yeah. I forget which one it is. Yeah. Bad Star Trek knowledge. Um <laughs> So yeah, I would buy it. Uh, it looks like you can order it from um, Roddenberry.com. Right. I would 
probably pass on this just because it wasn't one of my favorite episodes and I don't play the flute. <laughs> And it's three hundred dollars that I could spend on yeah. <laughs> something else. Uh, but I'm yeah. I'm really into collecting props, so um, mm-hmm. I think this is a pretty cool piece. So for prop collectors out there, I think this is a excellent display piece. Uh, something that could go great if you have any other Star Trek props. And uh, so keeping with um, our previous shows. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have something triple-related, aren't you? <laughs> I am. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I needed to keep it going. I, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to keep it going past the next episode, but I'm going to try. I'm sure we'll find something triple-related. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> okay, so what what is it? <laughs> <laughs> so it's the Glomer Triple Predator and Pink Tribble. Oh, this is from that uh, animated series episode. Yes, it's from it's from the anime series episode More Tribbles, More Troubles. And uh <laughs> for some uh factual information from the ep- well, from the episode, uh the Glomer was genetically engineered by the Klingons to hunt, kill and eat tribbles. <laughs> So the triple unfortunately does not vibrate or make sound. What? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's just a puff, and the puff is uh, pink because um I think we mentioned it in previous episodes. Oh yeah. The director of the original, uh, sorry, of the animated series was colorblind. Uh, <laughs> so he thought this was gray color, but it wasn't. So. This sells for twenty four ninety five. Nice. Oh, and the the triple does go inside the glomer, mm-hmm. uh, which is an orange color, and has these white spikes uh, that come out from it, which can also be purchased at Roddenberry.com. So the right. question, Eric, would you buy this? I don't know if I would buy it. I mm. <laughs> I think it looks kind of ugly. Yeah. Um, I, and I'm not big into like you know stuffed plushies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for Star Trek fans or parents that have kids that are into Star Trek, I think mm-hmm. this is a great item for Christmas or for the holidays. Right, I was actually going to say, if if I had a kid, I would definitely buy this for my kid. Yeah. So keep that in mind if you're if you're a parent looking for a gift for your Trekkie child. <laughs> I, I actually have uh, one more, uh, would you buy it? Okay. Uh, so I got an email from the folks at uh, Q- QMX. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've done uh, Star Trek uh, replicas in the past. Okay. Uh, they, I got an email from them. They are going to be taking pre-orders the first quarter of 2013 for the replica uh, Star Trek Next Generation communicator badge. And it's a crafted from one of the only remaining sets of the original molds. And it r- was restored to replicate the prop size and shape exactly. Okay. They studied actual screen-used badges to get the color and paint details correct. 
Mm-hmm. And they finally uh, rendered the whole replica in gold and silver finished metal oh, um, nice. because the props were made of painted resin. So it's actually going to be a wearable badge with strong earth metal magnets embedded in the badge okay. and a glossy black plate. So it's going on sale for 19.95, and they're going to... Mm-hmm. Right now, they're taking uh, sign-ups for uh, the waiting list to be notified on when it's available. Okay. So, yeah, QMX online. Excellent. And so. I would definitely buy it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no yeah. question. Yeah, that's actually something I would definitely buy. If it's anything like the Starfleet Division badges that they made um, a couple years ago from the original series... Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is going to be a, a great item. And hopefully they do the other uh, com badges, like the Voyager-style com badge. So I, I guess we'll jump in to our uh, main topic, which is the Doctors of Star Trek. Cool. Definitely been looking forward to talking about this. Uh, I really like all of the Doctors, um, so I, I definitely have some favorites. Okay. So we got to start with... With the original Doctor, Bones McCoy. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, Dr. McCoy. Uh, he was definitely a, a pioneer-style, uh, very old Western feeling, uh, not afraid to argue with non-cooperative patients. Yeah, he <laughs> he, he had a, a certain temperament that if if you tried to fight him, you know, he'd dish it right back out. <laughs> right. Actually, I remember uh, Space Seed, uh, mm-hmm. the episode where Khan pulls a, I, I believe it's a scalpel, and holds it to McCoy's neck. Yeah. And he goes, well, I think he says something along the lines of, well, if you're going to do it, do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I'm paraphrasing. I know that's not exactly what he said, but pretty much. So I, he's definitely had, I don't think any other doctor would have said that in Star Trek. No, I, I don't think they would have either. I, I, I think, uh, <laughs> I, I think we all know his famous lines, the he's dead Jim mm-hmm. or, you know, you know, I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. <laughs> right. Um, it's definitely, uh, one of the staples of, of Star Trek. Yeah. McCoy is just, he's really cool. Yeah. And that's one of the things that even non-Trekkies know. They know I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. Um, (laughs) He's dead, Jim. Everyone knows who said that. Or if they don't know who said it, they know that's from Star Trek and it's the doctor from Star Trek. Yeah, I I just, I I really like his relationship with Spock. Uh Um, They they were friends, but they were always arguing, or it seemed like McCoy was just always annoyed with Spock and his damn Vulcan logic. Right. (laughs) And I think uh, McCoy was just, he, he was a great character. He really connected with, it seemed like he connected with all the uh, main members of the crew. I think his friendship with Kirk was probably one of the best friendships in Star Trek. And he was definitely um, uh, like a confidant to right. Kirk too. He He's given Kirk advice when, when Kirk's really needed it. Right. Very, it's unlike other doctors in Star Trek. I don't 
remember other doctors being that close, oh, except for Crusher and Picard. That's because that, that of, was on a more romantic level. <laughs> yeah, and that they knew each other from the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a, a a a relationship between a doctor and a captain that um, we haven't really seen since uh, in Star Trek. Right. The episode "The Cage" with their doctor and Pike. Mm-hmm. I can feel how the characters evolved from those set of people. Yeah, Christopher Pike and and his doctor. I remember they, they kind of had the same relationship that Kirk and McCoy did. Right. Like, it was like, hey, you know, have some whiskey or whatever. Let's talk about it over a drink. It was right. that uh, same same mentality. Right. Yeah. Because uh, I believe he says something along the lines of, "You can tell your." bartender more things than you can your doctor or or something yeah, along yeah, that exactly. <laughs> yeah so you mix them a drink i, I really like that scene in, me too in in the cage and i can see mccoy doing that with kirk yeah that was a uh, dr boyce okay that, that that was who the doctor was and yeah they uh, yeah sometimes a man will tell his bartender things that will never tell his doctor Right. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I definitely see uh, McCoy saying that at some point. <laughs> mm-hmm. And McCoy's relationship with Spock, like you said, it was uh, definitely a, I think, a love-hate relationship uh, between them. It was so easy for for McCoy to just get really mad at at the little things that Spock would do. Right. And uh, it was. It was one of the great points of the series because so much humor came from that too, mm-hmm. and uh, so much natural humor. I think McCoy had a very sarcastic, dry sense of humor, which, mm-hmm. which I, I find pretty funny. Right. I feel as though McCoy, even though he seemed to pick on Spock, uh, mm-hmm. respected him. Yeah. Which was something that was good to see because it wasn't just that he didn't like Spock. It was just the way McCoy was. Yeah, I mean, McCoy was stubborn, and it just seemed like the things that Spock did got under his skin. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's not that they they hated each other. It was just, to me, it almost seemed like a, like a competition between them. And a competition for I don't know what, like maybe Kirk's, <laughs> Kirk's respect or yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Right. It, it was definitely that butting of the heads with, McCoy and Spock that really formed um, one of the sides of of that triumvirate that they had. Right. Do you have any favorite McCoy-centered episodes? I like, e- even though it was m- more about Kirk, um, I-, I did like some McCoy moments in um, the city of on the edge of forever. Okay. Uh, especially when Kirk had to hold... McCoy back to, you know, because Edith Keeler had to die. Right. And, you know, just having, like, McCoy trying to save someone, and he couldn't. And he was actually kind of mad at, at Kirk at the time because he didn't know the consequences of, of that action. Right. I, I think that's a good McCoy moment. I also liked... I also like the devil in the dark, uh, just because McCoy had to figure out, you know, a whole new species with, with the Horda, mm. and right. he was the one that determined that they were silicon-based 
life and and had to uh, treat the Horda. Uh, but there was also the episode uh, the uh, the Man Trap, um, right. which really dealt with McCoy and his uh, past illusion of uh, Nancy, which was who Nancy was his ex-wife. I'm not or, sure if it was his ex-wife, but or an old old love acquaintance. Right. That was a good episode. It was actually the first episode of Star Trek that ever aired. Oh, that's right. And that actually was probably my favorite McCoy episode. So yeah, they uh they started off uh successfully. <laughs> right, yeah. Um a- another favorite uh moment of mine um actually isn't in the original series. It's actually the uh, first um, episode of Next Generation. Yeah, when Admiral McCoy uh-huh. um, tours the Enterprise D with Data. Right. And there's kind of like that uh, passing of the torch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And to me, it was amazing that he was still alive <laughs> in the in the Next Generation. In that episode, he was uh, 137 years old. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's... So he, he lived a long life. <laughs> uh, definitely. I wonder how much longer in that timeline. You read the Star Trek books, right? Yeah, and he's actually still alive, I think, at, at least uh, quite a few years after that. Okay. Because um, he... I, I, I do know that in um, William Shatner's... Uh, novel series um, like The Return and all uh, that, which which are pretty good books. Um, okay, I'll I, take your word on it. They're separate from um, the Pocket Universe, uh, Pocket Books Universe. Okay, but um, yeah, it definitely had an older uh, McCoy helping Kirk out, which was you know great to see that their friendship still continued, and even with uh, Spock being al- still alive at that time. Mm. So it's McCoy is definitely one of probably my favorite Doctor, my okay. my favorite Star Trek Doctor. Cool. It's just I mean he's 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 the Southern Doctor. I <laughs> yeah. I was born in the South. Like he's just um I I, I think he's just a really cool Doctor. <laughs> yeah. Um. A, another thing about McCoy is he was also kind of a, a religious man, mm-hmm. uh, or at least I got that sense from him. Right, because he he was like he always like my God, and mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> in um, Star Trek Five, you know, horrible movie, <laughs> but, um, you know, when Kirk says, "What does God need with Starship?" and and he's like, "Jim, you don't ask the Almighty for his ID." <laughs> <laughs> right. So I, I I just like that um, McCoy was very down to earth and. You know, had that old Southern charm even in the 23rd century. Right. It definitely is something you wouldn't expect. Yeah, it seemed like he was very old school. <laughs> right. Yeah, very old school. So yeah, that I think that pretty much sums up McCoy. Uh, so getting into the next generation, mm-hmm. Marty's least. I know this is Marty's least favorite Doctor. Well, actually, maybe not. Uh, that might be the one after it. Uh, but certainly not his favorite. Uh, Crusher. Oh, I I actually like Crusher. Oh, okay, I like Crusher too, um, but it, f- from the discussions I've had with Marty, he doesn't uh, really like Crusher. Uh, any particular reason why? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, he just doesn't like her. Well, you know what? I like her. <laughs> <laughs> 
and that's all that matters. And and Marty's not here, so you know what? <laughs> Crusher is cool. <laughs> yeah, no, Crusher is Crusher is cool for the most part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Crusher was the first single mother, I think, that we've ever seen in Star Trek. Yeah, uh, single career working mother. Mm-hmm. A very uh, strong character. Mm-hmm. Uh, from that standpoint, uh, very accomplished. Uh, she was head of Starfleet Medical at least twice. Oh, yeah, that's true. Once right after the first season for a year, and then after the events of Star Trek Nemesis, she was supposed to go back to Starfleet Medical. Yeah. Uh, so definitely a accomplished doctor. She also had a very strong relationship with Captain Picard. Yeah, and that was because that sh- she met her husband, Jack Crusher, at the Academy, and then uh, Jack served aboard the Stargazer with Picard, and right. they became really good fa- uh, friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Picard brought the uh, Jack's body back to Crusher and her son, uh, yeah. Wesley. Picard was actually um, in in love with, with with Beverly Crusher, but he couldn't express it because he felt that his feelings would betray his friend Jack. Right. Um, so, and we definitely saw that carry on in the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, definitely some sexual tension there. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first season, when that polywater uh, virus, uh, you could. Definitely yeah. see that uh, almost come to a head. Well, here's the thing: um, when I when I went to the um, Star Trek uh, Fathom event yesterday, mm-hmm. um, they brought up uh, one of the reasons why why she got fired uh, for the second season mm-hmm. was because she thought that a lot of the shows in the first season were kind of sexist. Okay. Um, especially there was some, she felt that the writers were, were, were making her like, you know, all like, Oh woman. And you know, that, that whole scene, like, Oh, you know, that whole sexual tension between her and Picard, she felt that it weakened her character. Okay. And so Patrick Stewart actually went to bat with her, but, I guess at the time that the producers really didn't um, like her complaints mm-hmm. and they basically fired her. And there, there was a part in that interview where um, Patrick Stewart said that the whole crew was um, devastated that, you know, they had lost a crewmate and, you know, they thought, you know, they lost a great actress. Right. And it, it was funny because uh, Will Wee in, in, in the same interview, he said, well, if she's gone, then I'm next, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I'm her son, you know, they're probably going <laughs> right. to get rid of me too. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, but obviously they brought her back, and she's probably second in, in my favorite of uh, Star Trek Doctors. Uh yeah, she's up there for me. I uh I don't know if I'm going to put her as my number 1. Mm-hmm. But because the next generation is what I grew up with, I know her character better than all the other doctors. Right. And actually, I'm glad you mentioned that cuz I was trying to research why she left 
It was, um, in particular, it was one episode that um, Angel won, where it was uh-huh. like the, wasn't like the female, or it was like, it was a, some very like sexually charged episode. Mm-hmm. Actually, the whole cast thought that that script was like really sexist and totally out of character for Star Trek. And it was because all of them complained and, you know, got some lines changed and some dialogue changed around. So I I think it was definitely because of the rough start that the first season had, even Mm -hmm. though it was highly successful and, you know, launched this syndicated show. But still, it was, I think the first season was a little rough and that's why they got rid of her. Right. So what did you find out in, in your research? So what I found uh, from Memory Alpha, it says that there were difficulties in developing Crusher's character. Mm-hmm. For her character's Bible, that was actually written last minute and didn't actually have a lot about her character, uh, her background, mm-hmm. uh, compared to all the other characters. So, yeah, so I could kind of feel that. I felt like in the first season... Uh, her character was lacking something compared to the other characters. I don't know if uh, you felt that way at all. Yeah, she seemed more like a background character, kind of like mm-hmm. Jordy. And that's why in the second season, they, they made a few of those changes. Like, they made Jordy chief engineer. They gave him something to do. Right. More that's of a just, focus. That was the best move they've ever made. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> So do you have any favorite Crusher episodes? I do. The episode Remember Me is probably the only one that really jumps out at me. And that episode is when Wesley Crusher has this subspace field experiment. Another (laughs) off-topic, why would they let a teenager (laughs) mess around with the ship's subspace field? But this somehow creates a an alternate dimension, an alternate subspace dimension, where it is almost identical to ours, but because the subspace field is collapsing, her universe is shrinking. And as it's shrinking... Oh, yeah, and the whole ship is uh, uh, slowly disappearing. I, I do remember that. Right. And then the Traveler becomes involved at the end to help... I believe, maybe I'm making that last part up, but I think the <laughs> I think the traveler uh, comes at the end to help. Yes, yes, the traveler comes at the end to assist them to bring Beverly back into our reality. I, I I really like the how the traveler was connected to the Crushers, Wesley, mm-hmm. and you know to that that extent Beverly as well. I th- I thought that was a a good storyline thread. Right. The Traveler was an interesting take. I particularly didn't like the Wesley character, so I didn't really love the character, I guess. Except in the first time we see the Traveler, that first episode. Yeah. Uh, I, it must have been the first season, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It's either the first or second season. Right. Do you have any favorite Crusher episodes? Uh, Actually, um, one of my favorite Crusher episodes is um, The Host, um, where Crusher falls in love with the Trill Ambassador, Mm -hmm. and the host is killed, so the symbiote 
is temporarily joined with Commander Riker. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it was definitely interesting to see her starting a relationship with someone that, you know, wasn't Picard, mm-hmm. you know, wasn't anyone else. And it was also a strong medical type episode since she had to perform the procedure to transfer the Trill symbiote. Right. Yeah, that was a good episode. The first time we see the Trill mm-hmm. in some form. Yeah. The actually, do you have any not favorite episodes of Crusher? I think I think there was one episode where it was also kind of like a love story. What was that? That was with that the candle with the creature and yeah, the, sub sub Rosa. That's what yeah. it was called. Right. That's that's the episode I was thinking of. <laughs> I yeah, that was just a horrible episode. Right. Um, <laughs> and again, it was another like, oh, I've fallen in love with you, and yeah, it didn't work as well as as the host. Yeah, I, I can see why she was against those romance episodes because you, they're either hit or miss. Yeah. Definitely hit or miss. I I, I just liked. I, I really liked the episodes that focused on uh, Beverly and and Jean Luc and continuing their relationship or even hints of it. They just had some really nice character moments there, which I'm glad they carried into the movies as well. Right. There's one episode that I vaguely remember when Picard and Crusher fall down a hole and then they like rely on each other to make their way out. I can't remember the name of the episode. Does that sound at all familiar? Um, oh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, are, are you thinking about um, when, when Picard and Wesley were trapped? No, different episode. Different episode. Yeah. That's the one with the shuttlecraft, right? Yes. And they crashed on the desert. Yeah, not that one. Uh, they, like, fall down a hole. I might be making this up completely. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember them falling down a hole and them, like, working together. It I think some sounds familiar. <laughs> I, I feel like someone broke a leg when they fell down the hole, and then Beverly was like, grab that root there, and was like, Is, does it taste bitter? And, I think I do remember that. I don't know what... <laughs> Yeah, it could have been that great of an episode, but I remember that, and I remember thinking that was a good exchange between the characters. Oh, wait, kind of digging around memory alpha. Was Mm -hmm. it called Attached? Attached, maybe. Oh. Picard and Beverly find that their thoughts are connected by brain implants. Mm -hmm. Is that the one? I believe that is the one. All right, we figured it out. (laughs) Thank you, memory alpha. Uh, Comes through again. (laughs) For kind of filling our memories. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Any other thoughts on Crusher? Uh, no, I thought she was an excellent doctor. She had to perform a lot of difficult operations right. uh, in yeah. the series. And I, I really liked how they showed those procedures and showed how capable of a doctor she actually was. Right. Like so. that episode where they replace Worf's spinal column. Yeah, that's exactly the one I was thinking of. That was such a great episode because a lot of the focus was on the medical part of it. Right. Um, I would definitely like to see a series of Crusher heading up Starfleet Medical. Like, Make, make it happen. Make a Star Trek ER-style show. That would be interesting to see, especially for people that like medical shows, medical dramas. 
uh, I think that would be cool to have a sci-fi twist on it. Yeah, and I, I would definitely like to see uh, Crusher again at some point. Hopefully that can happen. So I guess moving on to the next next generation Doctor? Doctor Catherine Pulaski. Yeah, and she lasted one season. Yeah. Not a fan favorite. I I liked her. I didn't like her as much as Beverly, but she was played by a great actress, uh, oh. Diana Mulder, yeah. who was in uh, three or four episodes of the original series. Mm-hmm. So I like that aspect because she was recognizable. I also like that she was kind of like a old school country doctor like McCoy. And I can yeah. see how, how some fans might think, oh, well, now they're just bringing like a McCoy stereotype back mm-hmm. in the Star Trek. But I liked her character. Another interesting thing from the Fathom Event movie, they showed clips of her interview. And interesting tidbit her original name wasn't Catherine Pulaski. It was some other name, and Diana Mulder thought it was horrible. It was just a <laughs> completely horrible name. It was so horrible she can't even remember it. It was that bad. Mm. So she went to Gene Roddenberry, and she said, I don't like the name. Mm-hmm. Can we change the name? And he's like, oh, I don't know. And he's like, well, what would you what would you call her? And she just said, Catherine, Catherine Pulaski. And he's like, oh, well, okay, I guess we'll, we'll stick with it. <laughs> <laughs> and... So she definitely liked the last name Pulaski, but for whatever reason, the original name that they gave her, she didn't like it at all, enough to go directly to Gene Ronberry and was like, come on, let's just change it. Yeah. Uh, another interesting thing from the interview is, and what we've seen through the episodes with her um, in such a short time that we mm-hmm. saw her, it was interesting that her and Worf kind of had a mutual respect or liking of each other. Uh, okay. She... Yeah, she stood up to Worf. Worf liked her above other doctors just because she was more direct and she challenged him on a couple of occasions. Right. So, and seeing those clips in uh, yesterday's Fathom event, because mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen some of the second season episodes since, you know, they aired or, <laughs> you know, v- v- very few times I've, rewatch the second season right so i i need to go back and revisit pulaski yeah i I think she's a character that uh fans need to give another chance (laughs) it would be interesting it would have been interesting to see her in one of the tng movies somehow yeah definitely i i I wish we had gotten some kind of follow-up because i think uh diana Mulder's a great actress Mm-hmm. And I, I really like Pulaski's style. Yeah. I can see that relationship that you were talking about with her and Worf. Because I remember there was an episode where Worf got a pimple, I believe. Oh, yeah. It was um, <laughs> it was basically like the Klingon measles. Or there's something like, oh, well, it, you know, it's like a childhood disease, like measles. And, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, well, something like, well, if Riker had measles, <laughs> you know, what would you do? And mm-hmm. that was kind of a, a funny scene. Yeah, definitely. I didn't particularly like the relationship between her and Data. It seemed like they were trying to recreate the McCoy-Spock kind of relationship where uh, McCoy would say, you know, you green-blooded Vulcan, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Pulaski would be like you, emotionless, tin-headed. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And she constantly, it seemed, belittled Data and didn't recognize him as a living being. Which was interesting because when when I saw Measure of a Man last night. Mm-hmm. Um, there was barely any Pulaski in that episode, hmm. and it seemed like Commander Maddox, who was trying to take Data away, was mm-hmm. more of the like, no, D- Data doesn't have a soul. You know, he's not; he's just a machine. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it would have been better if maybe Pulaski kind of jumped into that argument too in that episode. And right. she didn't, considering what you were just saying. Yeah, it would definitely have maybe have helped Maddox's case to have a physician declare him a non-sentient being, uh, especially one that has worked with him uh, for a year or so. Right. So do you have any f- uh, favorite Pulaski episodes or even uh, not favorite episodes i did like the un- unnatural selection okay episode where uh, pulaski started to uh rapidly age yeah that i like that episode but it seemed like she was already really old in that episode uh, to begin with mm-hmm. and then i don't know the makeup job was really bad <laughs> yeah it was um and when i saw yesterday when i saw that new interview with diane Mulder, it, it surprised me because i hadn't seen her since the next generation and she's definitely aged but not like <laughs> not like the episode at all right uh, <laughs> so yeah i i think the makeup was a little off-putting but overall yeah. i thought the episode was great mm-hmm. um i also really liked when she joined data and LaForge in the sherlock holmes uh episode uh elementary dear data um, yeah, that was... I, I really liked how how much she got into that yeah uh definitely that was a good episode i i liked that episode because it dealt with Moriarty. Yeah. Um, I like that that character that was created to defeat Data. <laughs> Not to defeat Sherlock Holmes, but to defeat Data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I liked the Unnatural Selection episode. That was one of my favorites, actually, mm-hmm. of the second season. I don't think there were many from the second season that I really enjoyed. But it showed genetic engineering in that episode, which uh, Starfleet and Federation had apparently... uh, They've they've outlawed. They've banned it. They outlawed it, but apparently not (laughs) here for some reason. Uh, Right. And Pulaski seemed all, like, really excited about this and about these... uh, genetically engineered children mm-hmm. and these children uh the genetic uh engineering was the cause of the this rapid aging uh process so it was definitely a cool episode and actually speaking of genetic engineering why don't we talk about the next doctor oh dr julian bashir yes very nice segue <laughs> so Bashir chose Deep Space Nine for his out, uh, first posting because he wanted to be, uh, you know, on the f- frontier of medicine. And didn't he basically have pick of any assignment? Yeah, pretty much. He graduated, I think, at the top of his class. Actually, I think he was a a salutatory 
salutatorian or you know oh, the okay. second place because there was oh. an episode where uh god i can't remember her name but she came back to the station mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah i i think you're right i think he did that so that no one would know that he was genetically engineered right yeah dr elizabeth lens that okay. was um that was who that was uh, that was the episode um explorers so that, that was a great early uh julian episode yeah i can't say that Bashir was my favorite character at least not to start yeah early on he was very hard to like right i don't know why that was uh, i guess it was just the way he was written i think I think it was his cockiness, like, you know, he was the best doctor, he was kind of a womanizer, he was really chasing Jadzia in those early seasons, and I think the changing point for me for his character was when he formed his friendship with O'Brien, Okay, and also... Uh, Garrick. Right. I think I would agree with you. Definitely after it came out that he was genetically engineered, I think that's when I really started to enjoy his character more, Mm -hmm. because that added another dimension to his character. I think he was, his personality was kind of flat to me before. Right. And I, I agree with you. I like seeing him struggle with that aspect of himself because it was something that he's had to hide all of his life. And he couldn't really be or he had to hide the person that he really was. So uh-huh. that that was the episode that we learn um, Dr. Brashear, I presume. Okay. Yeah, that was that episode, which was a, a great episode. We got to meet his parents and, mm-hmm. you know, find out why they did uh, what they did. I also enjoyed the Section 31 episodes. Yes. I thought that was really awesome to have that kind of secret organization within Starfleet mm-hmm. that did the third, that did the dirty work. thought that was great. <laughs> that, that was a really excellent storyline, and it, it was great to see that... Bashir had kind of um, uh, a rival with with Sloan. Mm-hmm. Whenever Sloan appeared in, in his room unannounced, he would always just say Sloan's name. He'd just be like Sloan. But it was kind of <laughs> like like Newman, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I really like the Section Thirty One episodes, and they- it's interesting that his character is involved or knows people that are in conspiracies. Mm. So Garrick, who's one of his best friends, mm-hmm. but he can't really trust him as far as he can throw him, you know? Right. And so you've got Garrick, who's, you know, a shady individual, you know, with his culture and organization. Right. Then you've got Sloan, plus the fact that, you know, him hiding the hide is genetic engineering. So it's it's interesting how tied into different backdoor dealings or, you know, secret organizations. Mm-hmm. And it even played into one of his holodeck fantasies when he was uh played a, a James Bond type character. Right. Yeah, I was I was gonna say that. I remember him in his uh, white tuxedo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that was an excellent episode. Yeah. Do you have any favorite uh, episodes? My favorite episode was... 
hold on a minute. It's um, it's when he was working with all of the group of genetic engineered um people. Mm-hmm. I I really liked that episode because he was dealing with people that were like him, but not really because they had different defects or like ticks about them. Right. Yeah. It's and, like, yeah. Yeah, it, it, I like that it focused on dealing with other people that were like him. Mm-hmm. And they kind of made it like a think tank to <laughs> right. to try to defeat, come up with ways to defeat the uh, Dominion. Yeah, it was definitely an interesting episode. Do we see them again? I'm not sure if we do or not. Yeah, I think there was one other episode where they showed up, they came back to the station. Yeah, it, it es- escapes me at the moment, but yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that was a later on episode, right? It wasn't one of the early ones. Yeah, this was definitely season six. Okay. Um, season seven, I think. One of mine, my favorite is uh, Inquisition, which is the first episode we see section 31. Oh, yeah. When Salone comes aboard masquerading as a officer from the Starfleet Department of Internal Affairs. Mm-hmm. and accuses Bashir of being a Dominion spy. That's probably my favorite Julian episode, or Julian-centric episode. Yeah, okay, uh, the the name of the episode with that, that I liked with the genetic uh, misfits mm-hmm. uh, was called Statistical Probabilities. Okay. And that was in the sixth season. Okay, yeah. I I, rem- I remembered it was the first contact style uniforms. Yes. Uh, that's how I I think <laughs> that's the line I put between the Bashir I don't like and the Bashir I do like is the uh, uniform change. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> I have to agree with that. I actually liked uh <laughs> first contact uniform Julian over uh <laughs> over old style uniform Julian. Right. Actually, I remember remember that episode where Julian uh, is on the Enterprise D. Oh yeah, and he worked with uh, he worked with Data. Yeah, um, I thought that was a fascinating episode. I thought the chemistry between Data and him was good because uh, Julian. Oh, go ahead. That, that was the episode uh, Birthright, where uh, Worf uh, was. Investigating reports that his father was still alive. Oh, okay, yeah. And an engineering accident causes Data to get a vision of Dr. Soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that part. Uh, for some reason, I blanked out on the the wharf part. Yeah, so that... And it was great, because it was one of the few times that the Enterprise-D went to Deep Space Nine. I, I quite en- I enjoyed that episode, the part that I remember. Um, Data is my favorite character, so it doesn't surprise me that I forgot about Worf. So there was another episode in Purgatory's Shadow where we learn that Bashir had been in an Dominion internment camp and he was captured while at a burn treatment conference. So a changeling had replaced... Oh, yeah. I really like the changeling Bashir. He was just so evil. Yeah. And he was on the station for over a month, apparently. Right. So that was that was weird. I, I know we mentioned this before on another episode of the podcast, mm-hmm. um, but that was definitely a shock to see. Yeah, and when, and when we find out that 
you know, Bashir was in this internment camp and, you know, he's being held prisoner and he kind of developed this uh, respect and with with Martok because uh, Martok had also been replaced by a changeling. Oh, uh, that's right. That's right. So that's how they were in the same internment camp. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts on Bashir? Um, I, I, I like Bashir. Um, he's not one of my favorite doctors, but I... I enjoyed the episodes uh, where he was paired with Garrick, um, mm-hmm. with Bashir, or I mean uh, O'Brien, because I really liked those friendships in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, the chemistry between O'Brien and Bashir was awesome. I thought I, I liked how, and it was weird because they don't seem like the ki- kind of people that would get together and drink and. and- and they darts. did in that first. That was what right. was great about it. Julian was the one trying to be friends with O'Brien, and O'Brien was just so stubborn, and you know he kept fighting him off. And then they finally came to a, a mutual respect of each other, and then became really close, fast friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it was weird to see that uh, relationship grow, but it was definitely a good relationship. It was weird seeing them go from. You know, Bashir's like, "Hey, O'Brien. You know, <laughs> you know, I want to be friends with you." And O'Brien's like, "Ah, oh, just go away." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, we covered this in the bromances episode. Oh, the one I missed. <laughs> Did you miss that one? Was that the uh, one you missed? Th- that was the one I I missed being on. Oh, okay. It was your idea, though. It was my idea, <laughs> and and mainly because of of Julian and O'Brien. Yeah, he he's he's a good character. Yeah. Um. He took some time to to grow on, like like we've discussed. I yeah. definitely like the later season, the later season Bashirs. Moving on, uh, to the next Doctor, and since this is the series that you enjoy, oh yes, <laughs> uh, I'll let you take this one. It it looks like we're getting a subspace uh, transmission. Sorry about being late, guys. Got caught up. Um, such is the life of an IT manager. So you're talking about doctors, right? And let me guess, you're you're right in the section, I was listening, so you're right in the section that I just love about Star Trek, Eric's favorite part. Oh, Star Trek Voyager. Yeah. <laughs> I heard about the doctor. Actually, that's the one redeeming quality that I always found about Star Trek Voyager was that it actually... Um, well, yeah, let's, uh, let's get into the doctor and... Uh, the EMH. Uh, so the doctor was um, the emergency medical hologram uh, Mark One uh, EMH, and he was activated uh, when Voyager went into the Delta Quadrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was kind of like he's kind of like a Data type character. Everyone, yeah, everyone kind of just thinks he's a tool, you know, uh, just a machine. Well, any man that could be in inner space in his earlier acting career. <laughs> I like that movie. I do too, but... Me too. Um, Cowboy. Hey, uh, Jack. Yeah, uh, Robert Picardo is a fantastic actor. Yeah, he's underrated. Uh, yeah, definitely underrated. So, I, I really like the Doctor. In, in the beginning of the, of the show, he was ignored. The crew would forget to turn him off at certain points. You know, He'd be in sickbay for hours with nothing to do. So over the course of the series, he was able to gain freedoms, the ability to turn himself off. And in the third season, 
with uh, Future's End, he was able to get the uh, mobile emitter, which was 29th century technology. I thought that was cool, but I didn't like it because it violated the temporal, everything we learned about you know not polluting the timeline. Everything in Voyager violated every rule. Come on. <laughs> no, no, come on. <laughs> all right, 99% of all of them. <laughs> But they were in the Wild West, in the equivalent of the Wild West, so I can understand why. Right. Yeah, I mean, sometimes they had to do what they had to do to survive without trying to, you know, violate the Prime Directive. But I don't think the mobile emitter was that much of a (laughs) violation since... Oh, no, no, no. No, just go into the future, grab some technology that's not available. No, the the future came to them. Came to them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And at that point, um, the whole computer revolution of the uh, 21st century, according to Voyager, was because of the events of Future's End. Yeah. Mm. But... Anyways, I, I really like the Doctor. He was really good uh, comedic relief, uh, but he could be really serious, you know, and, and create some really advanced medical procedures that was beyond his original programming. Yeah, I thought it was even more interesting to interact with the ECH, yeah, the, otherwise uh, known as Andy Dick. Uh, that was an yeah. interesting pick for a... That's actually one of my favorite um, uh, Doctor episodes is Message in a Bottle. Prometheus, yeah. Yeah, the the Prometheus, and he was dealing with the EMH Mark II. The the, the ECM, um, the Emergency Command. Name, wasn't it? No, no. Um, he oh. he was the oh, he was the doctor. Command. Yeah, that was the episode Tinker Tenor Doctor Spy. Yeah, he could change. Uh, he could go into command module. Yeah, he could go into command mode. That, that was another great. Episode. And I love how his how, how his dicky just changes color. <laughs> yeah, I I, I, I really blue like that. Red, I'm blue. I'm red. And then it uh, popped up with the the captain's pips. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually a cool animation uh, sequence there. And Where you got the red and the, the pips, yeah. Yeah, and that originally was uh, the Doctor daydreaming, and these other aliens were tapping into Voyager's computer and, and saw the, the Doctor's daydream and thought it was what was actually going on in the ship. And then they had to make it a, a reality. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a unique idea, especially when you think of, you know, all the times that, you know, the ship is on the verge of blowing up and, you know, maybe the entire bridge crew is incapacitated. I, I thought that was a interesting notion, especially like what we talked about earlier with like data, you know, they wanted like a whole bunch of datas. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked how with Voyager they kind of tackled the same issues that was brought up in A Measure of a Man with um, later on in the show, the doctor wanted holographic rights, that holograms were sentient holograms, uh, you know, could be their own race. Right. And that kind of echoes back to the Moriarty character. Exactly. So it, 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 was, it was interesting to have um, a hologram be a character, someone that was just a computer program. But over time, he became much more than than the sum of his parts. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he even developed relationships. He had a strong working relationship with Kess and also Seven of Nine. Uh, mm-hmm. He 
fell in love with her. And he also had a romance early on in the show with uh, Dr. Uh, Denara Pell, who yeah. was a, a Vidian. And they carried that for a was a couple episodes. The Deans, so, weren't, they, yeah. weren't they the ones that did the organ harvesting? Yeah, yeah, they were. They transplanted organs so they could keep themselves alive because of uh, the phage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she must have been a looker. I don't remember her. But. <laughs> well, she wasn't a looker, and then the doctor gave her uh, a holographic body. Um, they kind of downloaded her. Uh, uh, brain because the Fidian, the Vidians have a uh, some some of them have like a microchip that downloads their consciousness. Really? So that that was a great episode, uh, and he was able to give her her original appearance, which she hasn't seen um, for many years. So I, I think that was a great uh, love story, and it was the first time that the Doctor really fell in love and had a relationship. So I I, I really like. The Doctor, I, I think mainly just because of Robert Ricardo's um, excellent acting. Mm-hmm. I, I got to meet him at a Star Trek convention uh, quite a number of years ago, and he's he's just a really great guy, and that really shows through the Doctor's character. Now, if you don't mind me asking, is he a tall guy or regular size? I can't tell on the show. I think he's kind of a regular size guy. I mean, when I met him, I was like 14 or 15 so i mean he was taller than me but yeah uh, so yeah i I think he's average height okay because he always looks small in like the movies and things look like they're trying to make him look bigger than he is yeah Uh, another great offshoot of his character um was that he actually got to play his creator dr lewis zimmerman right who was also showed up in uh, deep space nine Right, yep, to talk to Bashir, because he was going to make Bashir the model for the next EMH. Yeah, for the um, this isn't Mark III. Why do they always make them look like themselves? Like doctors? Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, what, why did Zimmerman make... What made it look like? Oh, yeah. I think it's just, uh, I, I think it's a little bit of uh, ego. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I think Dr. Soon had a bit of an ego, and just like <laughs> just like Zimmerman, you know, yeah. they're... But he's a jerk. Zimmerman was a jerk. Yeah, he was a jerk, but he liked himself a whole heck of a lot. Yeah. I I, I think it's just that, look at me, I've created this wonderful thing in my own image. It's the God complex. Totally. And the doctor definitely had an egotistical side like his creator. Yeah, but not as bad. Oh, it it was pretty bad. The the episode uh, Lifeline, when um, the doctor went to Jupiter Station to take care of his creator, and uh, they brought in uh, Deanna Troy. That was a great episode, because it was both of their egos clashing against each other. Hmm. and both of them being really stubborn. Yeah, so uh, I think the Doctor has a lot of great episodes, and uh, he's a good character. He's high on my list of Doctors. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I think... It- any other comments on the emergency medical hologram? Oh, we didn't yeah. mention... I liked them in First Contact. <laughs> <laughs> but right. I, I liked it because uh, Dr. Crusher was like, oh, I swear I'd never use one of these things. <laughs> yeah. But she's using it for a total non-medical. Yeah, she's using it for a distraction. I I thought that was great. Bulk implants can cause skin irritation. (laughs) You need an analgesic cream. (laughs) Uh, uh, One of the things that I thought was funny, throughout the show, he was called Doctor, and I think in a couple episodes they mentioned, oh, 
you should get a name or yeah the the doctor finding a name was kind of like a running theme throughout yeah. the show and uh then in the the final episode Endgame, in the future timeline we find out that the doctor picked a name and the name was joe it was joe <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was joe uh and he's married he married a human last name was uh he <laughs> uh, you answer that one? Uh, no, I don't. Okay. Uh, Eric, can you guess what that is? I I don't remember. Actually, no, joke. Don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> no, Marty was he was gonna make a uh, bad joke. Yes, yeah, it's, it's spelled M A M A. Joe Mama. <laughs> <laughs> but it was weird that he would have a name Joe. Yeah, I, I think that's the beauty of it because it was just like such a regular name. It was like. Nothing special about the name. And he spent so long trying to come up with the name. Yeah, going back uh, earlier to uh, the episode where Dinara Pell, um, mm-hmm. she actually came up with a name for him, which was uh, Schmollis. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he kind of used that for a while, but after the events of, of those episodes, um, and, you know, they kind of split ways. Uh-huh. They should have named he, he stopped using that name. <laughs> I don't blame him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Names Schmagegi. Uh and he also married in that future timeline to a woman named Lana. Who was really? human, right? Yeah, human. Uh so I thought that was interesting. Wonder if he's like data fully capable. <laughs> Actually, uh uh, he is, because they mentioned that he made some uh, upgrades <laughs> to his program. Uh, that was in Message in a Bottle, and, and the EMH2 was like, oh, well, maybe before you can you go, you can, uh, you know, what was it? It was like, m- maybe you could give me those uh, programs or whatever. <laughs> uh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I think the I think the EMH, the doctor, he's a pretty good character. Yeah, and a good doctor. Right. <laughs> I thought Flox was better. Well, uh, good well, thing we're going to talk about him next. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving on to Enterprise, Flox. I think Flox was actually the most human of all the doctors. Even though he was an so alien, human. ironically. Yeah. I felt that he was the. I think he was the most accomplished doctor, and probably the the best doctor in the fact that he. It was all new medicine, and he went beyond traditional medicine and went into uh, using animals and plant life. Okay. Yeah. To... Yeah, I I I love that aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Flocks that he had. Futuristic homeopathic. Exactly. I, I like that. I liked when he fed his animals and he did like his own routine and mm-hmm. and how kind of the crew of the Enterprise were just kind of taken aback by it at first. Right. Like they didn't know what to think. I thought it was cool that he was also the first alien doctor that you've seen on the Enterprise of any of the Enterprises. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't human. He wasn't a hologram. He was completely Denobulan alien species. I like the whole thing with his uh, with their, their relationship with their wives. Oh, yeah, because they had uh, multiple uh, partners. Right. So I, I liked uh, Flox's... A relationship with Hoshi. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought they had a good friendship. Yeah. Uh, she could uh, confide in him, especially because she, at first she was so, like, space sick. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. And 
So I, I think they had a good relationship. She was SpaceX? I don't remember that. Yeah, she was kind of afraid of everything space <laughs> in the first <laughs> couple seasons. And the Doctor kind of helped her through that. Phlox helped her. That would, that would explain one of the reasons why she didn't want to take the assignment. Uh, right. Yeah. How um, Archer kind of like twisted her arm kind of to get her to come aboard. Y- yeah. He told her it was a cruise ship. and uh, another uh, relationship that started to develop was his romantic relationship with uh, crewman Cutler I don't really remember this all too much uh, Uh, that uh, romance so it it was the episode I think uh, Dear Doctor when they went to the planet with the primitive uh, aliens uh, that there's two species on the planet and the lower species was the one that was sick so crewman Cutler was a female biologist on Enterprise Mm-hmm. And she became romantically interested in Flocks. So that started to develop in that episode. And Flocks uh, in the earlier episodes started to uh, teach her to be a part time medic. Okay. And he. Oh, yeah, I remember her being a medic. Yeah. And he finally confronted her about her attraction to him because at first it was definitely one sided. Like she was all about Flocks. And he kind of skirted around the issue. And he already had three wives back home, <laughs> and which is normal for his culture. Right. And when she, when she found that out, she said she admitted her romantic interest in him, but she said she didn't want to be wife number four, <laughs> only a friend. So yeah. eventually they just became friends. It was okay. a platonic friendship. Wife number four. That was interesting, though, that whole relationship with women. Yeah, and it wasn't just well, that. It's both. Yeah, yeah, it was both. So yeah, Flox had some great episodes. Uh, I I liked uh, the episode Dear Doctor mm-hmm. when he started to talk to his uh, human correspondent in the medical exchange, uh, Doctor Lucas, and they kind of kept that up in a few episodes. Like you would hear about him uh, recording a note to Doctor Lucas. Lucas. Did they ever show Lucas? No, they they never did. Another missed opportunity. That's cool. Um, it's weird that we never really see that medical exchange ever again. Yeah, and and, and we always that's another thing about Star Trek uh, doctors. <laughs> we uh-huh. always hear about them going to like medical conferences and you know different like Starfleet Medical, but we never see. Starfleet Medical, we never see one of these conferences. Mm. You know, we don't see the uh, medical exchange. Right. So it, it, it would have been nice if Star Trek uh, delved into more of the medical Starfleet medical side of things. Yeah. Yeah. I think they should do, uh, we said this before, it should be a show like Starfleet Medical. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we brought that up earlier. Yeah, we brought it up again. I, I think it's a good concept. I think so, too. Uh, one of my favorite Flocks uh, episodes is called Doctor's Orders, and that's the episode where the Enterprise transverses a large region of uh, subspace anomalies, and Flocks must put the crew to s- in uh, stasis and pilot yeah, the Enterprise. Oh yeah, and he was Actually, he was what's, completely what's alone. What's that, Marty? Wasn't um, what's her name out too? Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but the, not as much. The, to Paul, well, yeah. As much, but she was. Yeah, because I, I believe the doctor starts to kind of go a little 
crazy. Well, Tapal was immune to the effects at first, but then they started to... Worse to her. Yeah, they, they started to affect her too. So eventually she had to be put under, and the whole task of running the ship was up to Phlox. Mm. And I kind of liked it because he had his own routine, and, and we got to see that. Yeah, he had uh, his own bowl, bowl of popcorn uh, for movie night. All right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and I think he walked. He he walked in the sick bay naked, like he was just like, well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why not? Right, I'm the only yeah, one. Naked. <laughs> yeah, why not? And of course, they use that whole thing where you where you pan around so that everything blocks just enough of what he's showing. <laughs> yeah, because like pages would be in the way. How convenient. <laughs> I mean, I was looking for. I mean, um, <laughs> uh, and uh, the Denoblian uh, physiology was weird because they like the way they could open their mouths so wide. Um, I believe yeah, that he had that he had that huge smile. Yeah, and I believe I might be wrong, but I rem- remember him blowing his head up, like inflating his head. Yes, he had a. Um... Like a blowfish. Yeah, like a blowfish. His his yeah. whole head. It was like a a, a response. Yeah. So I, I thought that was interesting. The thing, though, they only did that a few times. Because uh, it's like a CGI effect, obviously. Yeah. So you don't really want to spend too much money on you know just We're making him, him a really big dentures. <laughs> making him <laughs> smile. <laughs> uh, do you have any uh, favorite episodes, Marty, with uh, Flox? Um, uh, the one that you just mentioned where he's up. The whole time that they're in stasis, that is probably mm-hmm. my favorite right there. Yeah. Because kind of like the old horror movie type feel to it. Mm-hmm. Well, he thinks, Flux wonders if this is a starship or a uh, haunted house mm-hmm. at one point in, in the uh, episode. Uh, w- one of my um, favorite uh, Doctor uh, moments where the Doctor was a big part of it was the... Um, Klingon two-parter affliction and divergence where they thought that uh, Phlox had the cure for uh, this mutagenic virus that was used um, earlier when the Klingons were trying to use the augment DNA. Ah, mm-hmm. And I, I really like that because Phlox was holding his own against the Klingons. Yeah, he wasn't very forceful all the time. He was actually kind of jovial. But when he got angry or (laughs) defensive, he was guns blazing forward. Right. Even though he didn't want to be. Sometimes he had a temper when he was pushed to the limit. And that's when we really saw, like, an angry Phlox. I think that's probably about it for the Doctors, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So next we're going to move on to our social media question. Who is your favorite Star Trek doctor and why? So, on Twitter, we have at the underscore Imzadi underscore fan. Uh, (laughs) it's It's a long one there. Dr. Crusher, she's a great role model for girls. I always wanted to be her. Plus, Gates McFadden is absolutely awesome. I think seeing a woman in charge and in such a high position helped me grow up with the idea that women can do anything men can do. Nice. Uh, yeah, so I think that's a good sum of... Uh, I just feel, I mean, I've never seen Gates McFadden in anything else other than Star Trek. 
She uh, had a. She's from a theater background, so uh, mainly she is involved in theater. I remember her in. It was a very small part, but she was in uh, Hunt for Red October. Was she? Yeah, she was Alec Baldwin's uh, wife. Alec Baldwin. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that's a good answer, Doctor Crusher, a strong female character. So moving on is at. Drake D. Miller, and this person says, Bones McCoy, you can't get better than an old country doc who knows how to use a phaser. My question would be, which one? Uh, which uh, portrayal? Which portrayal? I, I would imagine the original yeah. uh, McCoy, uh, DeForest Kelly, yeah. I think. Uh, so that's that's a good answer. Next we have at Colonel Bones 91. This person says Dr. McCoy because he represents the audience just an old country doctor, both D Kelly's and Carl Urban's portrayals. Yeah, I'm going to say that, it, that that's going to be a popular cuz he was the first, but also, well, not the first technically, but the the real first. Mm-hmm. And his character's down to earth. It's not that, you know, it's not the ultra hero. It isn't the ultra brain. It isn't all of those things. It's what you would expect from, like they say, an, uh, an old country doctor. Mm-hmm. Next, we have a, a good friend of the show, um, at DJ Fun, who says the EMH from Voyager. He all was. Right. Yeah, <laughs> Voyager. Uh, you mean Joe? <laughs> Joe, uh, he was funny. There were some cool storylines with him being a hologram, a, hol- a hologram. Plus, uh, Bob Picardo is a great actor. I totally agree with that. Yeah, uh, very good answer. Must uh, be really tight with that guy, Bob Picardo. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Twitter. Yeah, you, you have <laughs> have uh, you know 140 characters to work with. Next, we have at BJ Wanlund. This person says bones all the way. Bones is the ultimate Trek doc, and his Texan drawl is iconic. Actually, I don't think that's Texan, is it? Uh, it's Southern. I don't know what. I don't know um, that, but it's. I don't think it was Texan because I think he was. Well, he always talked about uh, obviously a lot of Southerners. I bet like for uh, Tennessee whiskey. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if he was from Tennessee. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, I, I don't. I don't think they ever mentioned uh, where he was yeah, but I don't th- born. I definitely didn't say Texas. No, but I, I think that that was just like a. Um... He was at the Alamo. <laughs> He uh, he did attend the University of uh, Mississippi. That that could be a hint. Next, uh, moving on to Facebook, we have Ashley, who says Bones from the original series because I think he did the best work. Ashley is actually checking the work. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the work is so she was making sure he got the, his medical terms right. Next, we have Daniel M, who says. Wasn't there a hologram doctor? If I remember correctly, that dude was funny. Indeed he was. <laughs> I, I don't think Daniel was a big Voyager watcher. <laughs> uh, no? Yeah. I think there was I think there was a hologram doctor. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, Daniel is a friend of Marty and I. This is McCready. Um, uh, uh, so, yeah. He thinks there was a doctor. Was yeah. Doctor. So he's not a Star Trek fan, so I, it was pretty. It was good that he was able to uh, come up with that answer. No excuses. No. <laughs> uh, next, we have Jason, who says Joe 
fave, and I, I contacted him just to make sure, and indeed it is the emergency hologram, uh, emergency medical hologram that he was referring to. The emergency hologram medical? <laughs> uh, you know what I mean. See, I, I never refer to the doctor as, as Joe. He's I, just the doctor to me. Yeah. He even says that in the credits. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that was... He, he was just Joe in one episode, and that timeline really wasn't the future. Yeah, that time doesn't exist anymore. So, so who knows? Who knows? Uh, so next we have Mark, who says McCoy was good, but Crusher had a better rack. What? So, she, <laughs> so uh, she wins rack hands down. Uh, yeah, a rack of medicine. Rack of medical books or something. Yeah, it must yeah, be. yeah. I think she had a better rack of uh, medical supplies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That has to be what he was referring to. Yeah, um, yeah, better hypo sprays in in the future. But who was the first doctor? What's that? What did he say? The first oh, one. Oh, uh, McCoy was good, but Crusher had a better rack. Well, here's here's a question for you. Let's just put out there: <laughs> McCoy had a rack at all? He had, he had a shelf. He did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So next, uh, going on with the same theme as the last answer, Eric from the uh, Four-Eyed Critics says, Crusher all day, two reasons. One, she's the hottest. And two, she's the hottest. (laughs) She's the hottest as compared to all the other male ones? (laughs) Yes. Wow. Wow. I, I, I don't know. Flox had it going on. When that head, when that head uh, blew up, I mean, he was very, very handsome. Uh, <laughs> he, he also goes on to say, bonus, awesome sexual tension between her and Picard. Yeah, there always was. Yeah, which me and Eric uh, did touch on that earlier. So, yeah, good, good answer, uh, guys. <laughs> A little too sexual for me. Ch- Chapel had it going on. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We could have talked about her because she became a doctor. Bones when he comes back on. Chapel's got everything rearranged down there. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was in the. Um, supposed to be that the was doctor. in the movie. It was supposed to be right. Chapel. Right. So I guess um, we're done with the that segment. The next segment is. Do you know what puts my quantum stain to flux? Now, <laughs> now that was... Uh, I have at the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you might need to get treated uh, for that by a doctor. Oh. <laughs> Use the um. effect. <laughs> <laughs> So, although Dr. Crusher has supposedly written papers on cybernetics and considered it a hobby, it seems highly unlikely, in my opinion, that she would be qualified to work on data or other Zoom-type androids. I personally could never believe that she had the technical expertise to assist LaForge in these procedures. I do, however, completely believe that she would be able to work with cybernetic implants in human bodies. What do you guys think? I have to disagree. Okay. (laughs) 
I think that because Data was so lifelike Mm -hmm. and many of his components replicated uh, what how the human body worked or they had similar uh, analogous processes that I think she was qualified and that maybe not as qualified as an engineer like Jordy. Mm-hmm. That's why whenever they worked on data, it was the two of them. So I think she was qualified to work on data in a sense that maybe a lot of his components were so much like uh, the human body system that maybe LaForge needed that advice. Like, is, is this pathway of circuits like his nervous system. So I think that that kind of thing. Interesting. Plus, uh-huh. plus Data trusted her enough to <laughs> let her know his off switch. Right. Really? Yes. Yeah. yeah. My off switch. Yeah, which was like on his side. Yeah. I, I suppose, I just I still can't believe that his systems were that much like a living uh, biological creature, that Crusher would be <laughs> qualified to work on data. It just, uh, it always, I always found it odd. I, I don't know. What do you think, Marty? I mean, like Eric said, the, there was the mix of the, of the two. I mean, you had to, I think part of his anatomy, like you said, is, is, Still, is still so much lifelike that she probably could have diagnosed stuff, mm-hmm. uh, especially where she was putting cybernetic stuff into bodies and uh-huh. things like that. I and she could have done some of it, but not all. Right, um, right, and yeah, that's that's why she needed uh, Jordy whenever they did work on data. Mm-hmm. And when whenever they had to fix data, it was always Jordy and, and Crusher together. And I like that you know, because in generations, when his neural net fuses with the emotion chip, right? Mm-hmm. He says that Doctor Crusher has said that my it, it was fused. Mm-hmm. Um, so he deals with Doctor Crusher for that. But would she know that it was fused? Yeah, <laughs> she did. I I don't know. I don't know if like that kind of Expertise. Engineering expertise. I I don't feel like she would have that. I don't know. Well, well I mean, like I Picard had Picard had a cybernetic heart. Oh yeah, I think she would be fine with artificial body parts being implanted in, or like well, Borg or Borg implants. But I I but just that, that's all that is really. Well, yeah, but I mean, a computer chip that gives you emotion is a little bit different than the human brain that can generate these emotions. Yeah, but come on, she had a nice rack <laughs> of medical supplies. Yeah, medical supplies. That's why she knew how to take care of data because she had books and books on you know. Well, see, and here's another thing. When you say like. Oh, you think she was able to, you know, work on the Borg? Mm-hmm. Well, the the Borg are just like the next step. They're half of data. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I think there there needs to be that biological aspect uh, for Doctor Crusher to become relevant, like being able to attach the the cybernetic components to the body or to remove them from the body. I think that she's qualified to do that. I don't think she's qualified to actually manufacture these implants. No. Well, and I, they never yeah, said that she 
did that. Oh, no, no, I'm not saying that that's the case. I'm just saying that, considering that data is all machine and not any way biological in a, you know, truly biological sense, other than the way that it mimics, you know, blood flow with the lubricant in his body or or things of that nature. I, I think they did a good job in, in showing both aspects of, of working on data. But yeah, I, I agree with you, Aaron. I, I don't think she could like totally disassemble and, and build one. Right. Or know how to program them either. Right. Um, so I, that's, uh, that's what put my uh, quantum state into flux uh, this week. <laughs> I obviously I need to be treated. <laughs> I, uh, I obviously what was that? You have a cream for that? <laughs> Must it be itches. on that rack, right? It itches. Um, be on that rack. Yes. Medical books. So I obviously wanted to keep it along the lines of the doctor topic. Uh, so that's why I chose this one. That was a good choice. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so our next episode will be on last-minute Star Trek holiday buying guides. I like that. I saw that. That's a very good uh, topic. I, th- I think I'm going to need this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I will, too. That episode will what air... What geek in your life will want for Christmas? <laughs> uh, or yourself, ep- I mean. Let's or be, myself. Let's uh, this list would... Want that stuff. Yeah, I, this you pretty much... brought up stuff, Aaron. You have the socks, the tribbles, the... Oh, yeah. I actually mentioned another tribble thing in this episode. Oh, good lord. Uh, but that this... was my reaction. <laughs> what do you this... do with these tribbles when we're not around? Um, I don't do anything with them. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't look like it. I mean... <laughs> Our next episode after this one will air on December 17th. So you'll have uh, another week after the episode airs to go out and buy the things that we mentioned. And our next social question is, what was the best Star Trek gift you had received? So there you go. So it was great. Uh, another great episode, guys. Thank you, Marty, for the late uh, beam-in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I came over. Uh, I came home when I got came over to my computer, and I'm like, they can't still be on. And I put it on, and I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah. Maybe they can be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm Marty Hogan. I'm Eric Berry. Uh, and I'm Aaron Gallo. See you guys later. Thank you for listening to the Starfleet Escape podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You can check out our website at www.novacharter.com sfep. You can follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash sfescapepod.